Hey, beautiful soul. Can you feel that in the air? That shift? That feeling that something big is coming? We feel it too. And that's because if you take action, the next couple of months, and may I even dare to say weeks, will be the biggest shift and transformation you have ever seen in your life. Shilpa and Tanya here. And we want to let you in on some exciting news. We have teamed up with Neurodynamics Self-Management Coach Kirsten Johnson to bring you the MMM Transition Toolkit Workshop. This event is guaranteed to bring the shift you need to start your journey towards the life you envision for yourself. And it is happening this December 11th and 12th, 2021, live from the comfort of your own home. Set your intention for this workshop and click on the link in the description. You don't want to miss out on this one. Many Many blessings blessings to to you. What if through compassionate mindfulness and omnipresent awareness, you became instrumental in creating lasting impact? What if you surrounded yourself with people who had the same mission as you did? Welcome to Mindful Mompreneur Moments, the podcast that will provide the midlife mompreneur with a combination of mindset, mindfulness, and meditation tools. Each month, we delve into a specific theme that will allow you to take actionable steps that may just spark a little fire and get you pumped for whatever comes next. I'm Shilpa, founder of Omni Mindfulness Coaching. And I'm Tanya, founder of Xenia Coaching. In this space, we will share impactful interviews that tell compelling stories, relevant insights, and guided meditations. The stories we share through the lens of mindful entrepreneurs will resonate with you and give you an opportunity to be inspired. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. In this month's edition of the Mindful Mompreneur Moments podcast, we cover holistic wellness. And in today's conversation, we have Dimple Dabalia, who is the founder and chief officer of Roots in the Cloud and a culture strategist, as well as leadership and performance coach with over 20 years of history working at the crossroads of government and humanitarian sectors. Her primary focus has been asylum and refugee-related policies and operations, as well as diversity, equity, inclusion, access, and belonging, as well as content and curriculum design and organizational well-being. Grounded in the latest research and findings in neuroscience, mindfulness, and positive psychology, Dimple's cutting-edge work supports a radically human approach to leadership by acknowledging and addressing individual and organizational biases and trauma. Using principles of equity-centered design, Dimple works in collaboration with organizations to design cultures of belonging steeped in psychological safety, trust, and connection. Dimple is an ICF accredited 
executive coach, and has her certificate in applied positive psychology and is one of a handful of certified MPEAK, Mindful Performance Enhancement Awareness and Knowledge Coaches. Dimple has worked as an assistant attorney general representing the Department of Humanitarian Services at the Colorado Attorney General's Office. Dimple has a JD from the University of Denver College of Law and a BA in Institutions and Policies and a PPE degree from William Jewell College and Oxford University. Now, without further ado, we have Dimple. Dimple, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you so much. Oh, I'm sorry. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, so without uh, further ado, let's just jump right in. Our first question is a mouthful. And this comes from two novices who really are we're really curious. Tell us about the field of your focus as an executive coach. Um, what I've read is ICF, accredited executive coach, who has a certified a certification in applied positive psychology and is one of the handful of certified mindful, this isn't the mouthful, mindful performance enhancement awareness and knowledge MP mindful coaches. Please share everything. <laughs> Thank you. Well, so again, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, sometimes bios are just like too much, right? Um, so yeah, I, I'm actually trying to kind of figure out how all my different pieces fit together too. So um, a few years ago, I uh, got certified in applied positive psychology. And basically positive psychology, for anyone who doesn't know, has a very unfortunate name because I think people often think it's about being positive all the time, and that is not at all what it's about. Um, but positive psychology really is, um, it's, a, it's an aspect of psychology that came out in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, when um, a group of psychologists kind of got together and said, you know, for 100 plus years, we've been focusing on pathology and what's wrong with people. And what if we instead started focusing on what's actually working for people and build on that? Um, and so it kind of like shifted the dynamic and a lot of it was coming out of the trauma work that was being done, right? Because there was um, this subset of people who were experiencing major traumas in their life and yet they were coming out on the other side of it stronger than before the trauma occurred. And so this group of, of um, psychologists were like really curious about that and said, you know, what what happened here that made them different? So so that's what positive psychology is about. And, and to this theme of holistic um, living or holistic well-being, it's 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 very much about that because it focuses on six kind of key areas. So we look at positive emotions, we look at engagement, we look at um, relation uh, like relationships and kind of those high quality con uh, uh, high, yeah high quality contacts, um, and then. Uh, we look at meaning, we look at achievement, and then we look at vitality, so kind of the physical aspect. And so uh, it's a model called PERMA-V. <clears throat> and so the idea is that as whole human beings, we really want to feed into all the different parts of this. So that's the applied positive psychology piece of it. 
Um, and then there's MPEAK. So MPEAK is Mindful Performance Enhancement Awareness and Knowledge. Um, and this is, uh, this is it's something I absolutely love teaching. It's just, um, you know, it's this idea that I think mindfulness often gets this, uh, there's a lot of misconceptions, right, around mindfulness and this idea that, oh, mindfulness is just about meditating and sitting on a cushion and it's very soft and what, you know, um, but as you all know from your own practices, you know, meditation and mindfulness, like they're one of the hardest things to cultivate. Like they take a lot of um, active intentional work. And so MPEAK really looks at the cross section of uh, where mindfulness meets performance. And so, you know, oftentimes this thought that, oh, to be mindful, I have to be sitting quietly and whatever. No, like we can be mindful in the midst of a major performance event, right? So when you think about elite athletes or you think about, um, you know, people getting up to give a TED talk, for example, um, there's an element of mindfulness that can come into play there where we can start to learn how the mind and body are connected. We can start to notice what's coming up for me in my body because, you know, the body often knows something's happening before the brain has a chance to catch up. So if I can learn to start tapping into that and and recognizing what's going on, recognizing my own patterns, recognizing the um, internal storytelling, um, I can more effectively deal with it. And, you know, it helps to lower stress. It helps to navigate through challenges and uncertainty and trauma, um, all those kinds of things. So it, it really like focuses on, on that. And so it's a beautiful um, combination of, um, uh, meditation, group coaching, uh, positive psychology, um, and uh, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the fourth piece. It'll come back to me, but it brings all of it um, to together in in one space, which I think is really really um, helpful. I think it's fascinating that you mentioned that it's it's so uh, people have this misconception. I've approached many moms in a um, baseball field going, Hey, you want to join my mindfulness or meditation group? Like, I don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. So important for our audience to understand. That's why I love um, when we have guests like yourself who kind of really reinforce the fact that meditation does not mean you have to sit still. First of all, your brain can't just blank out. It's, it's virtually impossible. So the fact that you say also that mindfulness in sports mindfulness in everyday life this is this is what living is you have to have that little uh, mindfulness uh, quality in your life or else it's kind of you know pointless <laughs> yeah 100 percent. and also when you think about right like in in our day-to-day -day work um especially if you're in a profession like first responders uh, law enforcement, medical professionals, right? Like there's so much happening on the front lines. And um, oftentimes if, if they're in, if they want to kind of go into a mindfulness practice and they're instructed to just like shut everything off and be quiet, it's very disconcerting and like, and jarring, right? And so that's not what it's about, but it's really about bringing awareness to, to what's happening. So, yeah. And the fourth piece of, uh, of MP is, is neuroscience. So we bring in a lot of the neuroscience around it. So. Yeah. And I absolutely love that as well, especially for skeptics who think that, you know, meditation in itself is kind of like a woo woo sign, like it's nothing to do with science. 
it has everything to do with science these days more and more um they're revealing that so thank you the neuroscience aspect has been fascinating for me because having been raised meditating and all the aspects the science part just now in the last few years i'm like oh yeah new neural pathways are being generated i'm actually making a difference in my brain yeah i love that right because i also grew up meditating but i didn't like i actively used that time when i was growing up to like daydream about other things so i was like <laughs> i don't need this i don't understand this like why am i doing this um, but yeah, the science piece of it was really what got me as well was like, oh, like I can actually change my brain to do stuff that I really want to do, you know? Absolutely. So Dimple, tell us about your path into the field of organizational trauma and your decade long journey of living, working and traveling in over 40 countries. Yeah, I have had, um, I am so grateful for the career that I've had, like, it's been incredible. And so um, I spent uh, 18 years working in the federal government. Um, so I worked in the Refugee Asylum and International Operations Directorate within US Citizenship and Immigration Services. So that is a mouthful. Um, but I did everything from like, I started out as an asylum officer. So I was interviewing asylum seekers here in the US. Um, and then I traveled all over the world um, interviewing refugees for resettlement into the US. And um, I also uh, was posted overseas twice, um, working out of the embassies and things like that. So that's where a lot of like that international travel came from was really just doing um, a lot of the work related to that. Um, but as a result of that, I, you know, so I think often in these kinds of mission-driven organizations, there's a real, uh, you know, it takes a certain personality to want to do this work, right? Like you really want to make a difference. And so in that way, the work feels amazing. And there, I was just writing about this yesterday about how there's like this, um, there's like a rush that comes from, you know, being in places that are not entirely stable and like, you know, being on an airplane that has got some duct tape on it, you know, and, and so there's some excitement that comes with, with that kind of work. Yeah, that's a um, rush the, for you. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but the piece of it that people don't talk about is, um, you know, in this kind of frontline work, there's like, there's so much vicarious trauma and secondary traumatic stress. And people don't talk about that piece of it, right? So mental health in general, like in the workplace, people don't want to talk about it. And I think it's really important to kind of destigmatize it. Like we have to talk about it because it is a very real part of any kind of frontline work. Um, if you're in the business of serving other people and trying to better other people's lives, you're taking on a lot of stuff. And, um, and so I think we do a real disservice by not talking about it. Yeah, so for me personally- about, Sorry, you spoke about compassion fatigue as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and compassion fatigue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It does feel relevant even during the times of COVID where you know a lot of frontline workers are constantly, my grandmother was a nurse and I felt like she was constantly managing those emotions of compassion fatigue. Yeah, and it's very like understandable, right? Like if you're every day, uh, you know, just trying to take care of other people, but you're not taking care of yourself in the process, like at some point something's going to give, right? And so the compassion fatigue is a really big part of it. 
in my case, it was, you know, hours on end every day listening to these horrible stories of, you know, torture and flight and all this other stuff. Um, and just taking it in and having to make decisions that you knew were going to impact other people's lives. So it was very, like, there was a lot of pressure around that. Um, and so I was on a trip in 2010, I believe. Um, I was in Zambia and we were interviewing um, uh, Congolese applicants, which the Congolese cases were some of the worst I had ever heard. Uh, we were interviewing the last of the 94 Rwandan genocide survivors, and then we were interviewing uh, what are known as protracted Burundians. So these were people from Burundi who uh, literally had been born in refugee camps and then had subsequently been attacked again in the refugee camp. So they were basically refugees twice over. And these were like some of the worst stories I had ever heard. And pretty much every single case had um, rape as you know being used as a tool of war. Um, and there was only two of us actually there to do like hundreds of cases. Um, so really long days and it was just a lot. And it was the first time in almost seven or eight years of doing this work that I was really struggling to manage my emotions. Like during interviews, I'd find myself crying like as the applicant was telling their story, which had never happened to me. Um, I was really struggling to sleep at night. And when I would fall asleep, I'd have really horrible nightmares. Um, I found myself like with my teammate and we would end up going to the bar, like right after work rather than like going to do something better for ourselves. Right. And so there was a lot of things like that happening. And, um, and I realized very quickly, I was like, this is not normal. Like this is not, um, or it's not healthy, right. It's normal, but it's not healthy. Um, but I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody about it. Um, I didn't feel like I could say to my boss, hey, you know what, I'm struggling with this. Um, and so I kept it to myself and started doing a bunch of research. And that's actually where mindfulness initially came up for me was there was a lot of stuff out there about how people in this line of work, um, you know, face these kinds of traumas and that mindfulness is one way that you can kind of navigate through that. Um, but as I was... Sorry, sorry to cut you off, Dimple. You were saying you, you couldn't even talk to your boss about it. You would think that in a field such as this one, things would be already implemented for their employees. Were there, were there no tools? No, and that's a great question. So this is like one of the things that I'm really working on now is uh, this idea of creating a duty of care for people in, you know, in my line, what, in what my previous line of work or in the medical profession, uh, first line response or first responders, et cetera. Uh, because the duty of care that exists is very focused on physical health and security and super important part of it. Uh, but I really think that there is a moral obligation to also include uh, like mental and emotional health because we are literally like, it's so to your to answer your question, no, there's not necessarily stuff in place. It's getting better. Like they've got more. Um, like now, there's more offerings around like debriefings and um, things like that. But there's still not a culture where people feel comfortable saying, "Hey, I I'm like I need to take a break," you know, without feeling like they're going to be written off or looked at differently or any anything like that. So yeah, there's not a culture of that yet. Um, but I think that it is really, really important for organizations to start looking at how they can implement some kind of a duty of care that is is more holistic and looks at the whole human being. 
So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I do feel like uh, we're entering, and maybe it's because I'm around a lot of mindfulness people, but I do feel like we're entering a generation, particularly given the pandemic, where this is becoming um, more obvious that we need this type of care in addition to other modalities. Um, speaking of modalities, can you share um, what kind of modalities do you use on a daily basis in terms of mindfulness to keep your life holistically grounded? Um, that's a good question. So for me, uh, like I, I have a, an ongoing kind of meditation practice for sure. So, um, there's that aspect of it. So first thing in the morning, um, I have kind of the, like, um, I hate to use the word routine, but that's kind of what it is, you know, where like, I know that I'm going to sit every day and I'm going to take that time to just um, focus in, right? Um, but then the other piece for me is really um, the compassion piece has been a big one. So bringing in self-compassion um, and really um, learning to have the compassion for myself um, so that I can extend it out to uh, others that I'm interacting with uh, on a daily basis. Um, and then the awareness piece. So for me, like I'm really trying to be better about uh, bringing awareness to everything that I'm doing. So, you know, noticing when I'm on autopilot um, throughout the day and bringing myself back into the present moment so that I can actually, uh, you know, be present to whatever's happening, good or bad. Um, and then learning to just, uh, you know, trying to practice non-attachment around it, which as you know, is one of the, the tougher um, pieces of that. Um, but yeah, just really getting curious around like things that are coming up. Um, for me, you know, because of MPEAK, uh, the interoceptive piece of it. So really that mind-body connection has been uh, really life-changing in terms of being able to tune in much quicker to what's coming up for me um, and noticing, because in the past I would have either ignored it or just like pushed it away as like, yeah, whatever, you know, and now really just stopping to, to think about like, well, what's coming up for me and why is it coming up for me um, and learning to trust that a little bit more. Yeah, so, I was just about sure to MPEAK uh, has to help a lot and I'm so excited for what you have in store for for us i believe you said in january there should be something coming up so i just want our audience to know that they can look out for that um we'll be sharing more once we we have all the details but i'm really excited to to find out what all of this mp is about well you gave us a, a pretty good idea and it sounds like something that everybody needs in their life so yeah thank you for that for creating it for being a part of it yeah, so I should clarify, I didn't create it. Um, it was actually created by UC San Diego Center for Mindfulness. Mm -hmm. um, and it was created in, um, in conjunction with the, um, the men's, uh, the USA national BMX biking team. Oh. Uh, yeah, and so they, they had done pretty well one year and then the next year, the next time the Olympics came around, they completely like didn't get any medals. And so their coach was like, you know, it's not that they don't have the skill. Like, I think they're in their heads about this. And so they partnered with UC San Diego to, um, to look at how they can introduce mindfulness into their kind of their practice routine, right? So their physical practice and then this, this mental 
uh, practice. And um, and on the next round of Olympics, they did actually uh, win some medals. And you know, we can't say with 100% certainty that it was because of this, but uh, there's definitely a lot of really, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And you mentioned what is coming up for one. I, I've been part of so many conversations lately. I attended Mindfulness 2.0 recently, um, the online version. And the concept of awareness, attention, is like the single thread that I keep seeing come up. And even for myself, when, when I wake up, the first thing is, where am I at? Even I have a routine. But my routine is not always consistent. I had a rough day yesterday. Today, my routine wasn't there. I woke up late and I, instead of beating myself up, I did what you were talking about. Like, I'm going to show myself some compassion. I did have a rough day yesterday. Mm-hmm. Extremely important. And it's, so, it's so important. Yeah. And, you know, and even with compassion, people are like, oh, compassion just lets you off the hook. And it's like, well, no, you know, like, in Empik, we talk about uh, there's the yin and the yang of compassion, right? So the yin is that soft side that says, you know what, it's okay. Like you had a rough day, things happen. But the yang is that tough love piece that's like, all right, yeah, it was a rough day, but we're gonna we're gonna start again tomorrow, like you know. And so, yeah, that's it's right. like one foot in front of the other, just keep moving forward. Yeah, you have to feel yeah. it, and then you get over it. Yeah, yeah. You need to feel compassion for yourself before you feel it for others. That is so true. And I feel like that's a huge element as to why I'm here now, because I had experienced a certain um, things, so to speak, when I was in corporate, because I'd spent corp- uh, my time in corporate so many years, and the lack of compassion was often a missing element. And now I have a different perspective on it. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. I think... Uh... This is, you know, another aspect of like the work I'm doing right now is around like diversity, equity, inclusion, and access. And I keep adding in the word belonging because uh, I think that a lot of our modern day workplaces do lack compassion and empathy. You know, it's it's very much about productivity, productivity that's often tied to self-worth um, rather than looking at, again, this idea of we are whole human beings and as whole human beings, we don't leave a piece of ourselves at the door when we come to work. And, you know, so there are going to be days where, you know, things are going better than others, you know, and I always say like in my workshops and stuff that, um, you know, it, I can't imagine that anybody wakes up in the morning and like stretches and says, you know, today I'm going to go out into the world, and just be mediocre, right? Like nobody does that. People genuinely are trying to do their best, but um, you know, our best changes from moment to moment. And, my best is probably different from your best. And so if we can learn to have compassion and understand that about each other, like can you imagine how much more pleasant it would be in the workplace? Absolutely. And you mentioned that sense of belonging, I'm sure in the, uh, like not, I wasn't going to say hundreds, but the, all of the countries you've been in, that sense of belonging is everywhere. It's universal. So, you know, if, if bosses can hone in on that and realize how important it is, and you'll have much better employees. You'll have a better world at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah so our 100%. last question is, what tips and insights can you give us on living a healthy, holistic lifestyle? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, you know, I think part of it is just, number one, recognizing that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, right? So 
it's different for everyone. So really like taking the time to figure out like, what is it that makes me feel good and kind of refills my cup, right? Um, and then the other piece of this, I think is also like getting away from the guilt of practicing self-care. Like I think self-care, often people are just so like, oh, you know, I, I can't do that. I don't have time, but you know, it's, it's just like everything else, you know, the, and we've all heard like the, the analogy about uh, putting on your own oxygen mask before helping others and things like that. But, you know, the reality is like self-care is, um, it's not any one thing. It's a, it's a, it's a group of things. Right. And so it's whatever we can do to kind of limit the stress in our lives. Right. So we need some stress. We know that stress is helpful in, in the right amounts. We need it. Um, but most of us, you know, if stress is on a continuum, most of us exist on one end or the other. We're not like in the middle where we should be. And so, you know, trying to just figure out like the things that are actually going to help you navigate that and feel better. Um, and, and to me, like, you know, holistic well-being is not just about our physical health, right? The physical health is so important because if our body's not working, like it makes everything else suffer. But it's also about our mental health, our emotional health, our relational health. Like as human beings, as you guys know, we are hardwired for connection, right? Everything that we do um, stems from this need that we have to be connected to other people. And so if that relational health is not strong and there's a feeling of isolation, um, you know, that can be really damaging, um, our spiritual health. So again, that doesn't necessarily have to be religious, but it's about feeling connected to something bigger than ourselves. And so to me, living kind of a holistic life or having this idea of holistic well-being is really attending to each of those different areas. And so finding um, aspects of self-care that relate to each of these. And so part of this is really like I, in a lot of the work that I do with coaching clients and stuff is really assessing like which bucket is kind of feeling empty right now in this moment and then targeting your self-care to that specific bucket so that it's not like you know people say oh like you know self-care is about bubble baths and yoga like okay you know what like yoga might actually feel really good if I'm in a space where my physical uh, like physical, emotional is kind of low, then maybe yoga is a great fit, right? But um, maybe if my relational feels low, then it's time to connect with a friend or, you know, so, so really being able to kind of target self-care in a way that um, is going to be beneficial and refill those specific things. We sure chose well with the holistic wellness <laughs> because this is exactly what it's all about, right, Chilpa? Like a degree, yeah. Articulating it in our own words back and forth this month because November for us is Holistic Wellness Month. However, um, you articulated it so well. There are so many buckets and each bucket may not be filled, maybe half filled, or some of us may not even be aware that, hey, I haven't even attended to the fact that, like during the pandemic, um, many were isolated. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, there's a beautiful book by um, Vivek Murthy called "Together." So he's the Surgeon General now, and he was under. Oh, do you, have you read it? It just came in the Amazon. Okay, yeah, 
it's one of my favorite books. And, you know, he talks about the epidemic of loneliness and uh, just how much of an impact that's made on us as a society, you know? And when you think about, uh, like he gives a, an example of 9-11 and, um, and I never knew this story, but I guess when, um, when the towers were coming down, like people were either running towards the water or running the other way, but like tens of thousands of people started coming towards the water. And so the Coast Guard didn't have enough boats. And so they put out a call to all the ships in the area saying, hey, we need you to come in towards, you know, towards these buildings that are, you know, falling. And all these, all these ships just, they said, okay. And they just like, you know, because there was this sense of like, uh, that human connection, like we're there to protect each other, to help each other. And, you know, in a, a space where you didn't know what was happening and you're seeing like this massive um, thing happening in front of you and you're going right back into it. Like it's, it's really phenomenal, you know, but that's like the power of connection. And so when you think about, especially in this country, right? Like if you grow up um, like our families in, whether it's in India or my, my mom's family is from East Africa, um, you know, there were, there were, they were very um, large families and they stayed together and there was that sense of community, right? And here it's like, people are very isolated in a lot of ways. Families don't necessarily live together. And even in India, that's changing a lot now too. People are moving out and stuff like that. But um, so it's a different, uh, but it impacts us because we just don't have that sense of connection anymore. And so yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you got the book, though. It's, I, I tell everybody to read it. I think it's such a good Well, you just got me. I got goosebumps because I literally was attending Mindfulness 2.0 where Vivek gave a talk. The book was mentioned, and I ordered the book. And as soon as he said it, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to read it now. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good one. And stories like the one you just shared about 9-11 just need to be kind of told and told and told and so that any kind of stories like that people can just kind of know that there are good people out there and our sense of belonging and sense of wanting to help one another is just extremely powerful sorry my son is talking at the same time that's okay uh yeah for sure for sure and you Um, saw a lot of that coming up in the pandemic too right like people stepping up to help each other and absolutely uh especially where you saw like especially um older people who might have been on their own and people like bringing them groceries and food and things like that so it's there you know we just have to find it and cultivate it and and nurture it i guess yeah absolutely and especially with the elders my dad um lives fairly close and he recently had his knee surgery done and the nurse called me and said, it's so nice you take care of him. Like, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, not always a given. Not even. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> true. True. I know. Like I've, I've had a lot of people who have written to me, like I write a lot about losing my mom and I've had a lot of people write to me and say, you know, I just get so much out of reading, uh, you know, about how, your relationship with her and how you, um, you know, that, that you guys live together and this and that. And it always seems strange to me, right? Because like, that was never, it was never an option that she wouldn't live with either myself or my sister or, you know, um, but yeah, the, it's not a given. Um, and that's okay. Like there's no judgment on my part around that, but it's just, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. 
Thank and you. I, so I, too love you I just want to say that I, I too love your story of your bond with your mom. And I um, will have to have a deeper conversation with you about that one day. But thank yeah, you for sure for all of the insights. Yes, Dimple, you're such a delight to just be in your presence. You're so down to earth. You're so laid back and just the stories that you have you could go on for days about the stories and it's like it's almost a shock that you turned out so so calm and so beautiful because of the things that you've you've heard and you've witnessed right so thank you so much for being a light in this world and we are extremely blessed to have you on the podcast thank you thanks so much for having me this was a lot of fun thank you Dimple. we are honored Thanks for tuning in. These episodes are intended to be of great value to you. And so we hope you truly got something out of this one. And if you did, don't hesitate to spread the love, leave us a review, comment, share with one or two people who you know may resonate with the content and visit www.mindfulmompreneurmoments.com for more inspiring content. Continue to live with omnipresent awareness and compassionate mindfulness. Many blessings.